Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tang. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Robert Baval, who joined us a year ago uh, to talk about his uh, earlier book, The Master Game. And he's uh, to going today to be talking about his latest book, which is going to be released very soon. So, Robert, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm very pleased to be on your show again, Peter. So I guess you were probably best known for, for your, your book, The Orion Mystery, which really started uh, things changing in the alternative history field. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, it's quite amazing that... I've just returned from Greece, by the way. I was uh, there for a conference for the Theosophical Society. Um, and uh, people look at me and say, ah, you're, you're the man with the pyramids and the stars, but they never remember my name. So <laughs> <laughs> there you are. <laughs> so so tell, us, uh, tell us what your, your deeper connection is to Egypt. Well, I've got to tell you this uh, on that particular topic of, of the Orion mystery. Oh, sure, yes. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I got a, a, a photographs. A lady sent me a, uh, an image on my Facebook. Uh, she was in Cambridge, an English lady, and she bought a smoothie for her son. And on the smoothie uh, box, there was the Orion correlation theory. Oh. So there you are. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> You've made I've, it. Gone, I've gone smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> I'm very pleased with this. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, just just uh, tell our listeners about your your deep connection to Egypt. Well, personally, uh, as you know, Peter, I was born in Egypt uh, a long, long time ago. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've just well, just a couple of months ago, I discovered. Uh, it's a bit of a long story, so I'll skip the details. But I've discovered that my uh, ancestors from my father's lineage were actually in Egypt before the arrival of Napoleon. Uh, as you know, Napoleon invaded Egypt in 1798. And uh, my, uh, <clears throat> my great, great, great uh, grandparents were born in Cairo, in both of them, uh, in 17, let me get this right, 1785, uh, making it about 15 years before Napoleon came. So there you are. I have a very long uh, connection uh, to Egypt, and uh, it's, I consider it my, my, my homeland, really. Although I left Egypt when I was nearly 20 and settled in Europe, uh, in, in the UK, to finish my studies. And uh, it's been a long, long journey since then. I go to Egypt very often, two, three times a year, uh, but now I live in Spain, as you know. I'm settled in, in the south of Spain. As I'm talking to you, I'm looking out of my window, and people are swimming. <laughs> I'm on the, on, <laughs> it's still daylight here, summer, summertime, and uh, very hot. And there's some kind of football match going on. As you know, the Spanish are very keen on football. So here am well, I. 
they're, they're playing in the uh, semi-final of the European Cup. You know, you know more than I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'll be watching Wimbledon later on. <laughs> okay. Okay. So okay, I'm interested. Well, so I'm interested to know why uh, why you chose to write this book, Breaking the Mirror of Heaven, at this time. Why, why was it important to you? Uh, I chose to write it. Uh, well, let me say that I've written this book with an Egyptian journalist and author, Ahmed Osman. He lives in London. He's uh, a bit older than I am. I'm 64. He's uh, 69, I think. We both have the same uh, connection to Egypt, of course. He was born uh, there as well. But we both have had a long-standing feud with the Antiquity Department, uh, and particularly the, uh, the ex-Minister of Antiquities, uh, Dr. Zahi Hawass. So we've known each other, Ahmed Osman and I have known each other for many years, and of course, with the outbreak of the revolution, we have been particularly attentive to the, uh, to the developments there. And uh, the idea of this book came to set the record straight. Uh, we, we very much believe that if Egypt has a chance to uh, renew itself, to, to cleanse itself from, from these long, long years of, uh, of uh, military dictatorship and propaganda and uh, corruption, it has to face the truth uh, of its past, uh, particularly regarding antiquities. And uh, so we set about the, our task to, to really um, uh, write a book that, that uh, is going to be very hard for Egyptians to read because it's frightening what has been going on over the last uh, 200 years or so. Uh, and I'm speaking specifically of antiquities. Uh, the, the, the story of modern Egypt is very intertwined with the story of antiquities. And it starts with the arrival of Napoleon, as I mentioned. Uh, and it's kind of curious for me to think that my ancestors were there at precisely that time. So this, this 200 years of, of uh, modernization of Egypt uh, and uh, in parallel the activities related to the antiquities and, of course, the last 60 years of uh, intense uh, dictatorship and where, where, where Egypt's modern history has been distorted, uh, propaganda was rampant, uh, corruption is, is something incredible in this country. It, it goes from the very top to the very bottom. And all this has to be cleaned up. And it's when people face the truth about themselves, however hard it is, that there's a chance of healing. So that's, that's why we wrote it now. Uh, another reason is we want to expose the... Uh, the, uh, the confusion and, uh, and uh, mismanagement and corruption and, and blockage that has happened in antiquities, both on the ground in archaeology and both uh, regarding new ideas, new theories uh, over the last 20 years. So this book is going to cause quite a stir. It has caused a big stir, by the way, already in Egypt. Are you still there, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm listening intently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember I said make some noises because sometimes yeah, yeah. I'm okay. No, that's fine. It's okay. Yes, uh, in April uh, this year, uh, Ahmed Osman, my co-author, uh, was in Egypt. And uh, he's a journalist, so he spoke to uh, one of the very popular Arab newspapers called Al-Ahram. Al-Ahram is a bit like the Times of the Arab world. And uh, they were keen to announce the, this book. 
mainly because uh, a large segment of the book um, deals with uh, exposing the, uh, the mismanagement and so forth of the Minister of Culture and the Minister of Antiquities, or rather the ex-Minister of Culture and the ex-Minister of Antiquities. And so they, uh, to our amazement, they, they, they put a front page uh, uh, picture of our book uh, announcing uh, the content of the book in, in, in brief. And the next day, uh, the ex-Minister of Antiquities and the ex-Minister of Culture, uh, people in Canada, you're in Canada, are you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, people in Canada and America may, may know him of name, the famous Dr. Zahi Hawass, the, the man with a hat, as he's known. Yes, yeah. The, re, the real Indiana Jones, <laughs> or the ex-Indiana Jones. Of, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and the Minister of Culture, Farouk Hosni, they were both uh, very close uh, and, 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 and running the antiquities. So they, uh, the next day when our, uh, when our article appeared, there was another front page uh, article again in the Ahram, this time by them making rather bizarre accusations. Uh, the title of their article was uh, Minister of, Ex-Minister of Culture and Ex-Minister of Antiquity, Zahia Was, uh, accuse uh, a book published by Americans, which were not, uh, published by Americans, which attributes Egyptian civilization to the Jews. You know, this is one of those big things that, they, they, you know, if you want to upset people, you, you accuse them of being Jews. And in the, in the article, they, they claim that I'm from a Belgian Jewish family from Alexandria. And of all things, that my co-author, Ahmed was an ex-dancer in a, in a, in a cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> Which was... Amazing. I mean, how they got, I mean, Zahi Hawass knows very well that, uh, not that I'm offended to be called a Jew, but in Egypt, as you know, in the Arab world, it's, it's, uh, it's considered derogatory. So there you are. It's caused quite a stir and there was quite a reaction to this, uh, in the, uh, in the local papers. So we're expecting some reaction when it comes out in, uh, in a month's time. I'm sure you, yeah, I'm sure you will. So in, in terms of the title, Breaking the Mirror of Heaven, just explain to our listeners what, what is meant by the Mirror of Heaven. The title, uh, well, the Mirror of Heaven is a euphemism for Egypt. It's, uh, it's actually uh, taken from the so-called Hermetic texts, the Hermetica, which were uh, texts written in ancient Alexandria, uh, which incidentally have uh, much influence Western traditions in, in, in the esoteric uh, strains and various secret societies. But uh, it, it, uh, Egypt is, is often referred to in this text as the mirror of heaven, i.e. that it is uh, uh, that the laws or the, uh, the, the, the order of heaven is brought down in the land of Egypt. So breaking the mirror of heaven is... Uh, is uh, what has been going on for the last 200 years, that this uh, ancient and wonderful civilization, or rather its legacy, has been terribly mistreated uh, to, to such an extent that in, in, in researching this book, we were rather shocked that we didn't realize how much damage has been done. And thank goodness uh, a lot has survived, but a lot more would have survived had there been uh, more responsible people involved in, uh, in, in, in Egypt at the time. 
Should I should yeah go on? No, no, carry on, please. Well, <clears throat> Egypt um, is a land that has existed, uh, and, and I'm talking conservatively now, according to orthodox, orthodox chronology, uh, for at least five thousand years. Uh, it may be far older, in fact, uh, according to my latest research and, and the research of other writers like Hancock and John West and so forth. But even taking the conservative um, chronology, uh, so Egypt has had 3,000 years of pharaonic civilization. Uh, it was occupied in the later phase by the Persians. Uh, later came the Greeks, uh, the Ptolemies, that ruled Egypt for uh, 300 years, the last of which was... Uh, Cleopatra. Then came the Romans, uh, who, who brought with them Christianity eventually in the third century uh, of our era. Uh, and then in the seventh century came the Muslims, came the, uh, the Arabs who converted the country to Islam. And it's been uh, Islamized for the last uh, 1,500 years. But it has had other occupations. The British were there in, in, uh, from the 1800s. From, well, I skipped Napoleon. Napoleon came and occupied Egypt in, in 1798. Uh, and, and from there on, from that point on, uh, begins the, the, the modern history of Egypt. So Egypt is a, is a country that has sustained tremendous uh, change by these occupations uh, after the pharaonic civilization. So, Robert, we're actually, we're actually coming up to our first break. And so when we return, I'd love to hear uh, your understanding of, of Napoleon's invasion and what that was really all about. Sure. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertongue.com. My uh, July newsletter will be coming out uh, shortly, and June was an incredibly action-packed month, which I'll be reporting on. And also, www.myheartcenterjourney.com and our Ambassadors of Light program, where we have classes every couple of weeks, 
to inform you of what is happening in the world today. And we are finding out what is happening in the world today with Robert Boval today. And we're going to go back to begin this journey over the last uh, few hundred years with uh, what Napoleon was up to when he was invading Egypt, Robert. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, there's a need for a little preamble, um, both from the uh, what was going on in France at the time and what was going on in Egypt. Egypt, as I was saying earlier, was uh, a country that had uh, been uh, occupied since the fall of the pharaonic civilization in uh, in 30 BC with with the, with the arrival of the Romans. Um, has been occupied by the Romans like uh, for for nearly 700 years, and then finally came the uh, the Arab invasion. And from there on, uh, apart from a sh- moment, a couple of centuries of enlightenment, the uh, was it you who was trying to contact me? Sorry, no, 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 but very good. Uh, apart from from a century or two, where. Uh, uh, there was a bit of enlightenment coming from the Arab invasion. Egypt fell into a dark age, um, and uh, very little was heard of Egypt uh, in, in the Western world. Uh, one thing that was very bizarre that happened was that uh, it was occupied eventually by the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, uh, in the uh, 14, sorry, in the 15th century BC, uh, AD. What am I saying? 15th century AD, and yep. something rather odd uh, occurred is that the Turks uh, imported a army of soldiers that were actually bought. They were slaves. They went to to, to look for uh, young, promising men. Uh, and these slaves, known as the Mamelukes, literally meaning those who are owned, the Mamelukes, uh, eventually became so powerful uh, that they became the rulers of Egypt for several centuries. And this is more or less the position uh, when uh, France was going through its own revolution and the advent of Napoleon. Now, I don't want to go into too much detail, but uh, you remember when we talked, I think, uh, last year of the Master Game, I, I must have spoken a bit about the uh, influence of the of Freemasonry in, in, uh, during the French Revolution. Yes. Uh, th- there were many ideologies that uh, had come from Freemasonry, particularly fraternity and equality and, uh, and liberty, the, the famous slogans or, uh, uh, of the or motto of the French uh, Revolution. Uh, they say that the uh, the uh, the rights of man, the charter of the rights of man, comes from the the Masonic charter and so forth. The, the lodges were very very influential, uh, and uh, they say that many members, in fact, the father of Napoleon, his brothers, uh, many of his generals, were all part of the Masonic cult, which was very very popular uh, in those days, and particularly in the military. Uh, Napoleon himself, uh, many well. People always think of Napoleon as being um, a general, a military man, but he was rather a, an intellectual as well. And uh, it, uh, when one delves into his personality and his entourage and, uh, and all that was going on in France, uh, he was very, very keen to, uh, to take uh, an expedition to Egypt. 
In fact, it was almost a scientific expedition rather than a military expedition. Uh, and uh, from, from a strategic point of view, at least officially, uh, one, he was going to liberate the Egyptians from those evil mamelukes that, uh, that uh, governed the country. They were other strange people, those mamelukes, by the way. They, they, di- they didn't produce children. They actually bought their children. Uh, very, very strange. Yeah. Uh, and they and they sorry peter yeah no i was just i was just uh, amazed by that <laughs> yes it's a, it's a very strange moment uh, and they they wore these uh, flamboyant uniforms with jewelry and uh, uh, very very bizarre people to think that my my ancestor was actually born uh, 15 years before the arrival of napoleon right in the thick of this mameluk uh, era so i'm trying to find out more about this yeah i'm sure uh, but anyway that's another story so, uh, Napoleon was, one, seeing himself as the liberator of Egypt, and uh, on the other hand, of course, strategically, he w- wanted to occupy Egypt, which was the route, the land route to India, uh, and, and, and cut it from his uh, real bitter enemies, which were the British. So, that was the strategic official reason. But he, ha- he had arterial motives, and these were more intellectual and uh, and uh, perhaps spiritual, very occult ideas, to return, to make, to reconnect with Egypt, to uh, to annex Egypt and its ancient culture, uh, to France. Uh, all this was was was. Uh, for example, a lot of people don't know that his wife, uh, the famous Josephine, uh, was grand mistress of the uh, feminist Masonic movement in France. So one can imagine the uh, the ideologies that uh, were very much in his mind uh, when he uh, arrived in Egypt in July 1798 with a force of uh, 40,000 men, uh, a huge fleet. The Mamelukes didn't know what what hit them, um, and uh, made a trem- an amazing proclamation um, to them, uh, saying that he came to liberate them and so forth, and he was bringing to them a new vision, uh, a, a sort of republican I- ideals, which of course was totally aliens to the, um, to the Arabs in, in those days. Uh, his occupation only lasted three years. Uh, you know the rest. Uh, he, was cu- he was cut off in the Battle of Abukir by the, uh, the, the British uh, fleet under uh, Nelson and uh, finally had to retreat and leave Egypt uh, but uh, he he had with him for three years, uh, he had brought with him something like 70 um, scientists, hand-picked from the, uh, the, uh, the academy, the French academy. And many of them were uh, botanists, uh, uh, engineers, uh, uh, astronomers, uh, in order to record the, this, this expedition in Egypt. And in fact, it's thanks to these people that, uh, uh, that uh, there was a revival. When they returned back, many books were published. Uh, one of the famous books published by the Napoleonic expedition was uh, uh, a book that, that became a huge bestseller uh, around the world uh, and uh, created this kind of Egyptomania, where now every 
buddy was was keen to know more about the civilization and uh, all these wonderful things that people were unaware of. I mean, it's only after Napoleon returned with, uh, with his army back to France that uh, there was talk about these wonderful temples that they had seen and and the pyramids and, and all these uh, amazing legacy that uh, that were still existing. And so, from that more from that more esoteric point of view, what was he actually looking for? Uh, well, they say that he was initiated in the Great Pyramid. Um, they were looking for. Uh, he and his generals, for example, the first Masonic lodges ever to set foot in, in the Arab world was from his, uh, from the general that he left in charge when Napoleon left, he left before the army, he left uh, the general Kleber, who set uh, the very first lodge in Cairo, known as the Isis Lodge. Uh, the idea being that they were going to reinstall what they believed to be the, um, the true uh, source of uh, of uh, of uh, knowledge, the, the the source of wisdom, and reconnect it to the Western world. So th- this was at the, the occult, if you like, the the, the behind the scene motive of the of, of Napoleon. Uh, not just personally, but it seems many of his generals were very much into this. But uh, the point that uh, I'd like to draw, which is of course uh, the, the main topic of our book is that after Napoleon left uh, and the British uh, did not really want to stay in Egypt, they, 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 they couldn't afford the, uh, the, uh, the occupation, it would, it would uh, divert them from the war going on in Europe, uh, made a deal with the, uh, the, the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire, and they uh, agreed to appoint a Albanian Turk uh, known, uh, called Mohammed Ali, now, this is very strange, because even Egyptians themselves are, are not too clear of, these, uh, of, of the modern founder of, of Egypt, the founder of modern Egypt. Uh, he was an Albanian from, from the Macedonian region of Greece, uh, did not speak Arabic, uh, traded in tobacco, was totally illiterate, but uh, a brave man in, in, in the field. Apparently, he... Uh, he um, he was uh, picked up by the British uh, as a promising uh, officer, and one thing led to another, and he was appointed Khedive. Uh, the, the title was uh, a sort of governor of Egypt under the Ottoman Empire. And he is the first ruler of modern Egypt, and the last of his lineage, uh, as many uh, people would, uh, would know from your listeners, was uh, the famous King Farouk. King Farouk I, who was uh, ousted in 1952. So we have these from from 1805, after Napoleon left, to 1952, uh, this dynasty of Albanians, uh, monarchs, uh, rulers, who ruled Egypt uh, with an iron fist. And one of the problems, I suppose it's a, it's a double-edged sword, uh, Muhammad Ali, the, the first ruler, wanted to modernize Egypt. He was very much uh, in admiration of the British and French, uh, who were the superpowers at the time, and wanted to make Egypt part of, of, of Europe, wanted to make Egypt a modern state, uh, which was very good in many ways, but in order to do so, to, build the, the, to, to improve the agriculture, to build the dams, to build factories, he helped himself to the temples and ancient cities 
that the pharaohs uh, had left behind. So it, temples, whole temples were dismantled and and uh, and pulverized to make uh, to use the the, um, the salpeter to make gunpowder. Uh, blocks of the pyramids were used to, to build the dams, and uh, had had he not been stopped, by the way, uh, there would have been very little left. In fact, they even tried to dismantle one of the pyramids. So, you know, it is this 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 uh, reality that uh, Egyptians have to confront. That. Uh, unlike what has been said over the last 20 years by Dr. Hawass that uh, foreigners have taken the Rosetta Stone and, and, uh, and the Germans have the Nefertiti head and so forth. Well, the truth is, had they not done so, these things would have disappeared. Uh, it was thanks to the French, by the way, uh, in 1856, uh, where a Frenchman who had come to Egypt to uh, to buy a Coptic manuscript, uh, the famous Auguste Mariette, uh, who convinced the, the descendant of Muhammad Ali, convinced the famous uh, Khedive uh, uh, Said, who, who built the, the city of Port Said, to found the, what is today the Ministry of Antiquities. In those days, it was called the Service des Antiquités. Was it not for Auguste Mariette, uh, the uh, vandalism wholesale of antiquities, um, of the dismantling of temples to build factories and dams, and of allowing, by the way, uh, every Tom, Dick, and Harry foreigner would come and get a permission, a firman, they used to call them, uh, a kind of paper from the, from the ruler, to take anything he wanted. Uh, obelisks were exported, uh, whole temples were removed, and uh, museums around the world were filled with uh, with with these antiquities. I mean, I was at the British Museum uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I know the museum very well. But with this in mind, it's stunning how much has been taken out of Egypt. So, Robert, we're actually uh, coming up to our, we're actually coming up to our second break. So, I'm going to hold you there, and we'll return with this discussion in a moment. It's Peter sure. Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness sufficiently to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. 
Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. As many of you know, I'm going to be co-leading a trip to the south of France and Chartres Cathedral and Paris, finishing up in Paris uh, over the fall equinox in September with Finbar Ross. And we've got a great group of people going with just a couple of spots left. So if you are interested in going on that journey, please go to www.celticmysticaljourneys.com. CelticMysticalJourneys.com and all the information is there, the itinerary and all that you need to know. And if you're interested, I would move quickly because there's only a little bit of space left. I have with me today Robert Baval, who's giving us a wonderful uh, insight into how Egypt has developed and not developed in some ways over the last few hundred years. And from what you were saying before, before the, the break, Robert, there's obviously huge implications for Egypt today. Indeed, uh, let me get to the to the modern phase. I mean, uh, and and from the time I grew up in Egypt, I was born in '48, as I said earlier. This was four years before the fall of the monarchy, before King Farouk was was kicked out, and uh, the uh, what followed the the, the so called first revolution, which was really a, a coup d'état by a military junta. Uh, and uh, a republic was formed under the, the famous president, Gamal Abdel Nasser. Uh, but suddenly Egypt uh, took a completely different turn um, under the, the, the iron fists of this, uh, this rather uh, unusual man. Uh, in many ways, uh, he had some good things. He, uh, he tried to restore... A balance in uh, in Egypt, like all all socialist movements, there was a lot of poverty. There was a, a distribution of wealth which was uh, held by uh, by an elite. So, from that point of view, yes, he he had a good side to him. But the trouble is that uh, he tried to convert Egypt from a traditionally agricultural country. Egypt is really uh, the Nile with uh, with uh, with uh, with its cotton trade and into a kind of socialist industrial country, and it didn't work. And uh, trying to place young office officers in power, uh, taking lead positions, uh, there was a brain drain. Many people left, including a large section of my family, the very large cosmopolitan community that was uh, uh, living in Egypt and, uh, and running. Uh, much of the uh, uh, infrastructure there uh, was thrown out. And Egypt fell into another dark age. But a dark age of propaganda, of corruption, uh, and it's not surprising that these, uh, you know, Egyptians are extremely, I, I don't say this because it's a country that, uh, that uh, is my mother uh, land. Uh, I've been around the world, Peter. I've, I've, uh, I've worked as an engineer for many, many years, and I've, I've worked in the Middle East, uh, in Saudi Arabia, in Iran, in Sudan. I even worked in Australia. Uh, and... Uh, but Egyptians are very, very special people. They're extremely, extremely uh, tolerant. They're extremely friendly. They're extremely kind people. And it is, uh, it, it is a terrible thing that befell on them for the last 60 years to, to be oppressed, uh, to live under a very corrupt and, uh, and uh, indifferent uh, rulers who uh, let them uh, completely unattended. There was no social services. Uh, Poverty was rampant. Eighty uh, percent, if not more, of Egyptians lived under the breadline. So, but from a, from an antiquity point of view, um, 
the education was particularly bad, and and they were they were they were almost brainwashed with propaganda. And what is very very important now, uh, as you know, there's been uh, presidential elections uh, over the last uh, few days. And uh, you're still there, Peter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying the timing is amazing, isn't it? Yes, I to mean, have this uh, show. It's quite, I mean, I'm stunned by what happened over the last year and a half. Uh, you know, I thought the Egyptians had been totally tranquilized. Uh, I, I spent three years in Egypt lately, from 2005 to 2008. I was actually living literally opposite the Great Pyramid. Uh, I went there to write a book uh, called The Egypt Code. And uh, so I was there in the, in the, in the years leading to this, this amazing revolution. And I can tell you, uh, I never would have believed it, it, it would happen. You know, Egyptians had, had given up. Uh, they, were, they were like uh, docile slaves under this, this very oppressive uh, dictatorship, very oppressive uh, police, very oppressive uh, Ministry of the Interior. And, and, but suddenly, suddenly they were pushed too far. And you saw it all. I mean, the whole world saw it 24-7. Uh, in February last year. It was remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, suddenly, I mean, wow, there they were. Uh, the, the, the wonderful uh, explosion of, uh, of, of, uh, of kids there screaming that they wanted liberty and, and they wanted democracy. And, and uh, I, I was stunned. In fact, I think they stunned themselves. Um, uh, quite an amazing uh, uprising. And, and considering that they managed to, to, to finally oust uh, this dictator, uh, Hosni Mubarak, uh, in what was more or less a white revolution. Yes, it's true, about 850 young people died, but uh, compared to other revolutions, it was uh, not such a, a large number, even though it's, uh, it's sad to, to, to know that. But uh, they did it. They did it. They stunned themselves. But uh, they found out afterwards that uh, they hadn't really completed it. Uh, the army was still there, the, the generals were still there, and uh, a great sense of frustration and anger and disappointment began to set in again. But finally, these free elections. And uh, for the first time, I know, I know people in the West and, and where you are in Canada... It's no such big deal. But for the Egyptians, having been... It, it was the very first ever free elections this country has had since the time of the pharaohs. So, it, it, for them, it was such an incredible thing to be able to go in the street and, and, and say what they wanted and vote for who they wanted. And even though the result is a bit surprising, uh, I must say that I've been particularly um, enthralled by the choice that they've made. Uh, a lot of people are very fearful of the so-called Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, but I've seen them in operation, Peter. Uh, like I said, I was there from 2005, 2008. Yep. And they did what their own government should have been doing. They're a very charitable organization. Uh, of course, yes, they, they want to adhere to Islamic traditions, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people compare them to the Iranian uh, revolution. It's not true. I was in Iran during the Iranian revolution, so I, I can speak with, with, a lot of, uh, with a lot of knowledge. It's not that at all. 
they really want to restore what has been stamped out or almost stamped out in the Egyptian society. They want to restore a sense of dignity, a sense of self-respect, a sense of civil responsibility, a sense of charity. Uh, I heard something, it was in the newspapers, in the Arab newspapers, because I read it every day on the net. And uh, the president-elect, Mohammed Rursi, did two extraordinary things today. I would never, never have thought this possible. He announced that he, was, he will have two vice presidents, one a woman and the other a Christian Copt. Now, isn't that fantastic? Wow, absolutely, yeah. And then he, and then he said, and then he, there was another announcement. He said, I don't want people to put my photograph in any of the official buildings. I don't want to see my photograph anywhere. I, I don't want to become the symbol of, of like other presidents were, the, the, you know, that they regarded themselves as the, uh, the symbol of the country. Uh, he said, Egypt is the symbol. And, and he then said, please stop putting uh, announcement in the newspapers congratulating me. Give the money to the poor. To me, that's an incredible thing to hear from a man who's just been elected. This is what we, would sh- we wanted to hear from, from our president-elects in Europe, you know, instead of talking about politics and, and crisis. And so Egypt is in dire need for this kind of uh, intellect, uh, spiritual transfusion to get a nice dose of, 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 uh, of good virtues. So I think he's the man and to do it. Uh, as for <clears throat> the antiquities, uh, I hope that people like, like our book and other things uh, that will happen, other authors will, will bring back to light that Egypt is the, and the Egyptians are the keepers of the cradle of civilization. It is, uh, I don't know if you've been to Egypt, Peter, have you? I have not yet. I, I may be going this year, but I'm not, I haven't been yet, no. Well, come on my tour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, Egypt, again, not because it's my, my homeland, but there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There, there is still something like 500 temples still along the Nile. There's so many temples that... I've I've been on and in and out of Egypt for the last uh, thirty years, and I still haven't seen all of them. And let me tell you, I do a lot of tours. It's it has this amazing legacy, uh, a civilization that uh, that was governed by by uh, by uh, by, by uh, rulers that were uh, believed in the sacred, uh, have left this wonderful uh, arts, these these perfect pyramids. So Egyptians have to become proud of this, uh, have to re-establish their sense of history, which was very much destroyed by the, 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 the propaganda of the military junta. So uh, all this is, is very, very important for a country that is trying to uh, renew itself, to trying to heal itself from, from this, this oppressive past. So that is why... Uh, knowing all this, even though there is some, some hard realities to, to become aware of, that, that uh, they, they've had a blind eye to, to the destruction that was going on. They, they've, uh, their own rulers have let this happen. So there's a need to, to wake up. It's, it's, it's an awakening. Uh, and it's amazing that it's happened in 2012. You know, I mean, if there's any sort of big shift of conscience going on, uh, Egypt suddenly has become the, uh, 
the beacon of all this. And, it really uh, has. Yeah, it really has, hasn't it? So, yeah. in, in terms of while the re- revolution was, has been taking place over this last few uh, months, really, what, what has happened to the antiquities themselves? Well, uh, I wish you had asked me what has happened to the ex-minister. <laughs> because um, I was known for a long time as the Ralph Nailer of Egyptology. You know, I, I've, I was, uh, I was the, the nemesis of uh, Dr. Zahia Was for many, many years. Uh, well, thank goodness he's gone. Uh, but he has come back over the last 20 years, so we, we almost are a bit worried that his ghost will reappear again. But uh, uh, what has happened is it's gone dormant, I mean, understandably. The, the focus is now on, on, was on the elections, on, uh, on the, the post-revolution uh, writing a constitution, and so it, antiquities have gone a bit on the side on, and, and, then, and not gaining much attention. But they've got a good man uh, who is in this interim government, uh, a fellow called Muhammad Ali, surprisingly uh, the name of the uh, original <laughs> ruler of Egypt. Uh, and uh, he's, he's doing the right thing. He's, he's taking care of the antiquities rather than wanting to appear on television and, and play in the Indiana Jones, you know. So uh, I, 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 I've been in Egypt several times since the revolution and things are rather quiet, uh, which is exactly what we want them to be for the time being. And uh, what we hope is, uh, one of the things, by the way, that Ahmed Osman also wants to do with this book, and uh, we made a big deal in the, in the introduction of the book, is that uh, in, the, in the early 1990s, when my book came out, The Orion Mystery, and Graham Hancock brought out uh, um, Fingerprints of the Gods, uh, many other authors, uh, John West was doing his thing with Robert Schock about the age of the Sphinx, there was a, and of course, uh, Rudolf Ganterbrick, the German who explored the pyramid with a robot and found these mysterious doors in, inside the, the shafts of the Great Pyramid. All this created a huge uh, wave of interest. Uh, television programs were full of this. Uh, books were published in, in uh, trans- my, my first book, for example, was, has gone in 30 languages. And there was a, there was a, a kind of br- breath of fresh air blowing into this uh, otherwise very, uh, very uh, closed-door profession. The public was getting interested. There was talk about uh, the mysteries of the pyramids, what's behind these doors, uh, what, how old the Sphinx is. And all this was very good. Until Dr. Zahia was uh, put a clamp on this. He, so, Robert, uh, we're, actually, we're actually coming up to our final break. So let's just... Oh, my God, I'm enjoying this. Now, we've got one more break, but let's say we'll come back with Zahia Was after the break. It's Peter Tone for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. 
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Have with me today, Robert Baval, who's taken a very courageous step in writing a book called Breaking the Mirror of Heaven, which will, as he says, challenge uh, people in Egypt about what has taken place over the last uh, years, but also hopefully be a tremendous opportunity for healing to take place and for truth to re-emerge. So, Robert, when is the, when is the book due out? The book is due out on the 25th of July. It's, uh, it's available, of course, now on, on Amazon, whoever wants to get a, uh, order, pre, pre-order a copy. Um, I, I, I've just heard again the word awakening and consciousness, and I'd like to say that there is an amazing awakening going on in this ancient land. Uh, you know, this land that has given the world civilization, I firmly believe. Uh, and uh, we should all land a hand, uh, if anything, to send good cheer to these people. They're, they've come through a tremendous uh, moment uh, of, uh, of courage. Uh, as I, I said these words, I'm, I'm getting the shivers because it, it really was courage. It's, I was in Tahrir Square with them, and I could not believe the courage of these people. So uh, we should give the, op- the whole world should give the opportunity to this, this new government that is being formed and, uh, and restore Egypt back to its rightful place. Having said this, uh, I'd like to announce, if you don't mind, a tour that I run in, in Egypt on a Absolutely. regular basis. Right. Go Can I do it. that? Of course. Well, every year I, uh, I organize two tours in Egypt. Um, the word tour isn't quite exactly uh, right, but... Uh, um, I call them experiences. I, I take people on an experience to Egypt uh, in October and March. So I've announced the October one. It will be on my website uh, uh, tomorrow night, I hope, if my webmaster is diligent. Uh, we uh, try to keep it compact because we know a lot of people uh, can't afford the time and the money to, to extend too much. So these tours are usually 10 days. And we spend Egypt, as you know, Peter, is basically a, a very long, elongated country. It's the Nile Valley. Yes. It runs from the Mediterranean all the way to the borders of Sudan. It's about uh, a thousand kilometers long. And it's uh, divided into three parts. You have Lower Egypt, which is where Cairo and the pyramids are. So we spend uh, uh, three days there uh, seeing pyramids uh, galore. And uh, we have talks and we do meditation on sites and all these wonderful things. And then we fly uh, by plane to Upper Egypt in the south, and we board a ship, and we do a cruise to see all the, 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 the wonderful temples, such as Luxor, Karnak, and uh, Hatshepsut Temple. We, and we also do a bus excursion to Abu Simbel, where we stay overnight. And this is my favorite, by the way. 
where we we stay overnight to watch the dawn uh, sunrise uh, at the great temple of Ramses II in Abu Simbel. So whoever wants to join us, it's a tremendous experience. I have as a guest uh, the Egyptologist David Roll, uh, a wonderful man who knows a lot about Egypt, who fills in, uh, he's a chronologist, an expert on uh, the, the New Kingdom. I speak, of course, of astronomy and all the subjects that uh, I've written about. And you can get all the information on www.robertboval.co.uk. Not .com, because you'll get a pornographic site. It's been hijacked. <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> I'm not going to try it. <laughs> and I can't get it back. I'm telling you. Yeah. So I don't want to know what's on it now. But, uh, so .co.uk. That's correct, yes. And uh, the advert should be up tomorrow. Thanks, thanks for allowing me to, to announce this. And uh, we get people from all over the world, by the way. Um, the last tour we, we did was last March this year. Uh, and uh, we had uh, people from Australia, Canada, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, you name it. So there is a, there's an amazing get-together. We call it the Gathering of Souls, all kindred spirits, and we have a great time going up the Nile and down the Nile again. There you are. Thank you, Robert. And we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I'd just like you to have the opportunity to say whatever you haven't had to be able to say yet on the show and just... Uh Send us all off with some uh, inspired enthusiasm. Well, you know, I, I come from a technical background, uh, but I must say that uh, this year has been something rather amazing, and I don't think we've seen the end of it. Uh, oddly enough, it seems to fit with all these uh, prophecies that we're getting from, from various cultures, especially the Mayans. I'm, 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 I'm not somebody who delves too much into that, but I, I have to say that... Uh, uh, what's happening in Egypt is almost the result of a very ancient prophecy, um, the Hermetic prophecy, uh, which predicts the return of uh, and the uh, and uh, and the blooming of Egypt again in in some distant future. And I think it's now. But I see some buzz. There's a buzz going around. You know, I'm a bit of an old wolf. I go around the world and give conferences. And like I said, I've just come back from from Greece. Uh, I was I was in England. Uh, I was in England last month, uh, escorting a very interesting uh, family from the royal family of Bahrain, who, of all things, were interested in all these uh, new ideas and uh, the age of the Sphinx. And so there is a kind of buzz going on. There is a kind of movement. There is a kind of uh, mutation. I don't know what to call it. A conscious shift. You can feel it. And uh, I think it's the time of the people. That's what I feel. I think there's, Egypt has shown you know, people power. We, we, we're waking up that we, we are, we are the peop- we're the people to guide this planet. And uh, we're getting a bit tired of, of bankers and, and governments who dictate to us. So maybe that's the true democracy, this, this, uh, this, this, this new democracy that... So, Robert, we're, we're, uh, we're actually at the end of our time, and I, oh, abs- yeah, yeah. I, absolutely, I absolutely agree with what you've said, and I really appreciated your time today. We definitely are in the shift. There is a buzz going around, and we're both part of it, as well as many of our listeners. Thank you so much for joining me today, Robert. I've really enjoyed it. It was a real pleasure. I enjoyed it, too. Thanks, Peter. Next week, we'll have a, an encore presentation of Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Have a great week, and have a great holiday. 
Peter Tone for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring please join host peter tongue for another edition of awakening to conscious creation next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific time on seventh wave network